welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 24. Please get out your Bible and follow along. What should we do when snakes and scorpions attack? How do you deal with demons? What authority is required? And where does that authority come from? Can believers suffer from demonic attacks? Or will Messiah just take care of all that for you without you having to do anything except believe? How crucial is obeying Messiah and doing His will in your life to successfully overcoming the enemy and having victory in the spiritual war? When you go to war against the demons, what are the different kinds of demonic warfare you will encounter? Do the demons have any power of their own? Is dealing with demons about following a formula or performing certain religious rituals? Or is it about walking with Messiah in obedience to his word and allowing him to show you what to do? What's the difference between being possessed by demons or oppressed by demons? If you're suffering from demonic oppression, how can you overcome it and continue on in your mission? How awake and engaged in the spiritual war do we need to be in our lives? What is the authority that Messiah gave the 70, and how can we, as the remnant, use that authority to overcome the enemy today in these last days? Stay tuned throughout today's program for Eliyahu ben David's insight on Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 24. And now, here's Eliyahu with valuable insight on when snakes and scorpions attack. Well, now we want to take a look at this subject of when snakes and scorpions attack, because it really shows the authority and power that Yeshua, our Messiah, has given his people over the demonic world. And we need that power, because the whole world is in the power of the wicked one, the scriptures tell us. And so we are at war in this world. We have to have a wartime mentality. We're going to focus mostly on this issue of dealing with demonic spirits. 
Luke 10, verse 1. Now after these things, Adonai also appointed 70 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every city and place where he was about to come. I would just like to say here, notice the expansion of Yeshua's ministry in such a short time, right? Because his whole ministry was only three and a half years long. And earlier, he selected the 12 and sent them out. And now this is just a little bit later, and he's selecting 70 more and sending them out ahead of him. And what they're basically doing is they're going out ahead of him, and they're telling everybody he's coming. And they're preparing the ground. They're sharing the truths they learned from him. They're announcing the kingdom. And along with that, he told them to do a healing ministry. And they were doing healing. So just think about how well organized this is. It's really pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> if you really think about it. And the fact that he had these people already. So he had been actually preparing people as he'd been going about his ministry already. He had been taking note of those ones who were ready to serve. He knew who they were. Now, just imagine the multitudes he was preaching to. And yet he had identified these ones who were really the best suited for this work. And then he sent them out two by two. And that's a wonderful way to do things, two by two. To have a partner is a very good thing. So that's, that's what this was about. Now, why 70? Why not 50 or 80? This has to do with this number, 70. We know that originally there were 70 nations. And Genesis chapter 10 tells us about that. And the original 70 nations rejected Yahweh. And they really represent the Gentile world, the whole Gentile world, in rebellion against Yahweh. And then when Yahweh raised up his nation, his one nation, the nation of Israel, when it was time to put together the kingdom of Israel, the government of Israel, there were 70 elders appointed. And I think this was meant to directly correspond with the 70 nations that had rejected Yahweh. Now there were 70 elders who had accepted Yahweh and represented him kind of took the place of those that had rebelled. And also we know as there were 70 nations, there were 70 false gods over those nations. And so as this moves along and these 70 go out, something unexpected happens for them because he didn't never told them to cast out demons. He told the 12 to do that, but he never told the 70 to do that. But as they went about their ministry, no doubt what happened was some people came forward who were troubled by demons. And so these 70 found out that they could deal with these demons. And I think that this is kind of a continuation of the same idea of the 70. And it's kind of like this represents Yeshua's answer 
to these demonic powers over the 70 nations. It's kind of a picture for us of really the whole assembly of Yeshua, how that would come about. But we'll get into that a little bit more as we go along. I don't think I'm going to go into all of these verses, but the main thing I want to point out is, first of all, we need laborers. Yeshua needed laborers. We need laborers. And we should all be praying for that. For people serious like these 70. And you know, look at how serious they were, because in all of this information here, Yeshua is telling them how single-minded they have to be, putting aside everything that's unimportant in terms of the kingdom and focusing on their mission. And that's really what we have to do here at Zion. And we always need more help because we need to reach the remnant and there's only just so much time to do that. So just like Yeshua had a certain time period for his ministry, so do we. So we too can be praying for more laborers, even while we ourselves are doing everything that we can do in the mission. And this goes on. We notice in verse 9, he tells them to heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of Elohim has come near to you. So the healings were meant to be a physical manifestation of the kingdom. And you know, when the kingdom is established on the earth, that's going to be a big part of what the kingdom does. Because those mortals who are on the earth during the time of the kingdom are going to receive a huge healing. And the earth itself, which really needs it, is going to receive a huge healing. So that healing ministry was a foretaste of what the kingdom is really all about. And realize, too, the 70 following on the 12, these are, these are really governmental bodies within Israel. And this had real meaning because this is telling us Yeshua is literally building his kingdom when he's here. He was literally doing that as the king of Israel. And sometimes people just think about the kingdom as off in a cloud somewhere. But when you understand what this is telling us, it's talking about something very concrete right here in this world. And that's what he was doing. And that's what we're doing. The same thing. What he taught them about how to deal with people that don't accept the mission. And basically, we just have to accept not everybody is going to listen. Not everybody is going to understand. And essentially, this is telling us we have to leave that in Yahweh's hands. We tell them what it's about. And you know what? Some of those people, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, whatever, something will happen in their life. It'll click then. So we don't judge people. We just trust Yahweh to do with them what he 
sees fit to do, and we realize that they have an opportunity because it isn't over till it's over. Basically the story. And this principle, I think, is very important. You see it with the 70. Now, if you think of the 70 as representative of the entire assembly of Yeshua Messiah, then this really applies in some way to all of us who are part of Messiah's assembly. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. That means that all of us who belong to him and speak in his name have a really huge responsibility because we are representing him and how people respond to us is how they respond to him. So this means that we have to get ourselves out of the way as much as possible there, right? We have to be witnesses of the message without hindering people from being able to accept the message. And that's just something to think about and pray about. I think it's an important issue for us from the standpoint of having this kind of authority from him. It really is a big responsibility, and we need to think about it and pray about it, and we need his help to carry that effectively because it just has such a big effect on people's lives. Well, the 70 responded to all this instruction. They went out ahead of Yeshua. They did all this work. And can you just imagine it? Just think of yourself as one of them. And you get these instructions. You've never done anything like this before, right? This is the first time this happened. Nobody ever did any of this. So you and your partner, it's up to you. And you probably have certain cities you're assigned to go to. And it's all new. Can you imagine what that would be like? And what you're going to find as you go along is that Yahweh is orchestrating all of it. You're going to meet the person that's going to offer you a home to stay in. You're going to meet other people that are going to offer you opportunities to share the message. And everything is going to be orchestrated from heaven. And what it's all about is people having an opportunity to make a choice. It's not about making people believe. It's about telling people the truth and living the truth and letting people make a decision. And if you've done your job and you simply have gone where Yahweh has led you and you've talked to the people he's brought to you and you've shared the message he's given you, then you have accomplished your purpose. But it's totally up to those who hear your message that whatever they will do and how this is going to affect them is totally up to them. And, you know, this is how it works because Yahweh respects the free will of individuals. And we who are in the ministry really have to operate that way. You know, I see ministries out there that use emotional manipulation, try to make people do things, 
right? And that's a sin, and we should never do it. It's a sin against Yahweh himself, because this is a transaction between him and the individual, and we have no right to step in the middle of that and tell people what to do. We do have to tell them the truth. That is our responsibility. But then what happens, that's between them and him. And if a person hears the truth, and then they decide, I don't want any part of that. In fact, I'm going to become a Satanist. You know, we actually had that happen. We had somebody that signed up as a member, looked at all of our information, and found out who Yahweh really was, and decided, you know, that's just really not me. I think I'm going to go with the other guy. And they wrote to us and told us that. And you know what? I, obviously, I think they made the wrong decision. But it was their decision to make, and because they were the kind of person that wanted to be with the other guy, I was glad that's the choice they made, because we don't want that person, right? And so that's how it's going to work out as things go along. And that's how it works to find the remnant, to share the truth, and those people who are the remnant can decide they're the remnant and join us. That's how it works. Well, the 70, when they returned with joy, they were saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And this is the kind of thing that happens when you go out into the ministry not knowing what's going to happen. Because what happened was, no doubt, when they went out to do the things Messiah said, which he didn't tell them anything about removing demons from people. He just said heal. But you know what? A lot of the problems people had were caused by demons. And in the course of the mission, somebody said, oh, you know, I remember Yeshua doing this. How did he do this? Oh, he did this. And they tried it. They didn't have some big spiritual feeling doing it. They didn't have some special words they used. They didn't have some religious rite they used. They just did their best to do what they saw Messiah doing. And guess what? It worked. And it's a wonderful thing when that happens. I had that happen in my life. I was called into the ministry. And for quite a few years, I did work as a cult exit counselor. And I started out with people who aren't directly connected with demons very much. Most of their problems have to do with deception. So that's the area that I dealt in. So I didn't have to deal much with demons. But then there's that first time. And so I had somebody contact me who had demonic problems. And you know what? I had nobody else I could refer them to. In my area where I lived, there really was nobody that I knew of that dealt with those kind of problems. So I prayed about it. I was nervous about it. 
before I dealt with it. And I prayed about it, and the word I got is, well, you know what the scripture says, go ahead and do it. So, I did it. I, I went through the motions. I didn't have some big spiritual experience or something. I simply listened, understood what was going on, told the demons to get out and issue his name. Boom, they were gone. And I felt just like these guys. I was filled with joy because, you know, I worried. I was worried that I wasn't going to do it right. And you know what I found out? There's not a right. It's not like, you know, putting together a chair or something where you have to put all of the thing, all the parts together or an engine or something. It doesn't work that way. It's about a relationship. When it talks about casting out demons in Yeshua's name, it's talking about a relationship. And I had a relationship with Yeshua. So when I did my best to do what the scripture said in that situation, Yeshua was there. And I want you to know he's there for you. If you're ever faced with this, and you know what? You might not be faced with it in the sense of casting out demons out of a demon-possessed person. That doesn't happen with everybody. But as we're going to get into, we all have to deal with demons. And what Yeshua is trying to tell us is we can be confident about that. We've got that. We can deal with that. And that's what he tells us as he goes along here. He said to them, I saw Satan having fallen like lightning from heaven. I like this comment from the JFB commentary. And I think this actually gets to the reality of what these words are saying. There is, there's different points of view about it. But he said, I was beholding Satan as lightning falling from heaven. In other words, that's how it should actually be translated. So, in other words, they're saying about casting out the demons, and as they're talking about it, he is actually seeing or having a vision of Satan falling like lightning from heaven. And then the commentator here paraphrases what this translation actually means. That is, I followed you on your mission and watched its triumphs while you were wondering at the subjection to you of devils in my name. A grander spectacle was opening to my view, sudden as the darting of lightning from heaven to earth. Lo, Satan was beheld falling from heaven. What Yeshua actually was seeing in his vision was the reality of what's reported to us in Revelation 12 of Satan being cast out from heaven. And realize that. In a certain respect, the work of the assembly of believers began with the 70 in the sense that they represent the whole beginning of the assembly of Yeshua Messiah. So here, right at the beginning, 
where they're taking authority over Satan and the demons, Yeshua is seeing the very end of that whole process, where in the end of all of this, what will happen with the assembly of Yeshua Messiah is their work will actually cause Satan to fall from heaven like lightning. We are going to come to that position where we finally have taken authority in the earth so thoroughly over these demonic spirits and had such victory in Yeshua Messiah over them that now they will actually be cast out of heaven. And that's what Yeshua was seeing. And I believe that's what our generation will actually accomplish. And you know, you can look around right now and you can think, I just can't see how that can happen. But look at what Yeshua did in just a few years. Look at these people that turned up. It can happen in Yahweh's timing. And the remnant will be essential to this. And this will happen. So this is an amazingly encouraging portion of Scripture for us, I believe. And in your own spiritual mind's eye, can you see it? Can you see Satan falling from heaven like lightning? Amazing thing, isn't it? Yeshua then said this to them, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, nothing will in any way hurt you. Well, the truth is, he already had given them that authority, right? Because they had come back and they said, hey, we had this authority. We could do this. Now he's explaining this authority that he had already given them. And he is talking about demonic spirits. And yes, there were serpents and scorpions, and I don't think they were harmed by any of those either. Here in Texas, we have them too. Serpents and scorpions. And they're kind of nasty. You don't want one in your boot. Outside your boot where you can trample on them, that's where you want them. And same with the snakes, I think. We do have an enemy. And when we look at this, it tells us that we have authority over all the power of the enemy. And nothing will in any way hurt you. Do you believe that? I believe that. And yet there's some questions about this, aren't there? For example, nothing will in any way hurt you, he said. And yet in the scriptures, we have this case of the sons of Sceva. And they attempted to cast out demons in the name of Yeshua. Let's read about this from the book of Acts. Some of the itinerant Jews, exorcists, took on themselves to invoke over those who had the evil spirits the name of Adonai Yeshua, saying, We adjure you by Yeshua, whom Paul preaches. There were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did this. So they began taking this up to cast out demons 
in the name of Yeshua, who Paul preaches. What happened? Well, the evil spirit answered, Yeshua, I know, and Paul, I know. But who are you? The man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. To me, that qualifies as harm. So here they are, casting out an evil spirit in the name of Yeshua, and then the evil spirit turns on them, and they're harmed. How can that happen where Yeshua said nothing in any way will hurt you? After all, they did cast him out in Messiah's name. Well, let's look at this a little more. Look at what they said. Yeshua I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? You see, their names were not written in heaven. They weren't known in heaven. And of course, that's where the demons are. I know they all tell you they're in hell. They're not. How could Satan be cast from heaven if he's not in heaven? How could Yeshua see a future reality of Satan being cast from heaven if he's not in heaven. Of course he's in heaven. That's where he is. And what does he do there? He goes before the face of God and accuses you. And you, and you, and you, and me. That's what he does in heaven. He's the accuser. Read the book of Job. That's what he's doing in heaven. He's like a prosecuting attorney, in a sense. That's what he's doing. And, of course, he's leading, commanding the demonic forces. And there's certain common knowledge in heaven, like there's common knowledge in the world. You know, like people who live in the world, we know that, for instance, while I'm talking right now, certain things are happening in the world. There are uh, demonstrations going on in certain parts of the world that we've read about, that we know about. This information is exchanged so that we know these things. Well, these demons know this too. And they can tell, they can see who belongs to Yeshua Messiah. And they can see who doesn't belong to him. So if somebody who doesn't belong to him starts trying to use his name, they have no authority from him. It's just a name in that case, because there's no authority backing it up. Yeshua does not have a relationship with that person. So he is not going to enforce what they say. That's how come they could end up getting pummeled for being so arrogant. That's what happened. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us this is not a formula. A lot of people treat dealing with demons as some kind of formula. It's like you say this, this, and this, and that's what makes it work. No. That's not how it works. 
It's about having a real relationship with Yeshua Messiah, walking in his way, doing things his way, his word, your, his life in you. That's what empowers a person to be able to deal with the spirit realm. And there are lots of people who profess even to believe in Yeshua Messiah who are getting pummeled by the demons every day. That's actually happening. And yeah, they're being hurt. They're being hurt. But that doesn't make Yeshua wrong in what he said. Just realize who he's talking to when he says nothing will in any way hurt you. He's talking to his disciples that he empowered, that he sent out, who are walking in his way, following his instructions, acting according to his word. If you're doing that, the demons can't harm you. That's how it is. Then he says, nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he's basically telling you what I just told you, that their power over the demons comes about because their names are written in heaven. They have a place in heaven. So they have authority. And you know, Paul said that we are seated in heavenly places with Messiah while we're right here. So that's what it is. And power in the spirit realm is granted by Yeshua to those whose names are written in heaven. And that is the source of such authority and the far greater blessing. Because when the demons are gone, if your name is written in heaven, you're going to be here forever. So that's far more important than they are. They're just some pests we have to get rid of. And that's going to happen. Until then, nobody likes pests, right? So we have to kind of put up with them and deal with them. But the time is coming, and it's not far off, that we're really going to get them out of our hair. And that's going to be great. I really don't like those guys. So walking in Messiah's authority and doing his will. That's the thing we have to do. And then nothing can harm us. Here's a picture I found that I thought was interesting. And it's kind of, it kind of depicts a certain Christian attitude about all this. It's a picture of the Christian Jesus stepping on Satan, saying, I won't let Satan hurt you. Basically, what that says to me is, I don't have to do anything. I'm saved. I belong to Yeshua. So now nothing can hurt me. That's naive and stupid. If you open up doorways in your life for Satan to come into your life, he will rip you to shreds. And Yeshua will let him do it because it's what you chose. 
The day you decide that instead of walking in the truth, you're going to immerse yourself in illicit drugs or become a drunk or involve yourself in the occult and other kinds of things like this. The day you do that, you're opening up the door to your heart and saying, Satan, come on in here. If you make that choice, Satan will hurt you. So, yeah, Messiah is there. He wants to protect you. And he might even grab you out of that fire. But you're going to feel the flames, trust me. Because if you make a choice like that, you need to feel the flames so that you understand that what you do matters too. And this is very important to what we talked about before, about Satan falling like lightning, because the assembly of Yeshua Messiah must be responsible sons and daughters of the living God who walk according to his ways, walk in him in order to come to that end that we're looking for. If we just have the attitude of, oh, I'm going to let Messiah do it, and we don't do our part, we're not going to be a part of that because we're making the wrong choices. We need to think about that. This is war with the demonic spirits. And it's easy to forget that. But we are at war with the demonic spirits all day, every single day. And just like Messiah has done and is doing everything he possibly can do, to help us to succeed and to be with him forever. Satan and his demons are doing and will do and will continue to do everything they possibly can to prevent that from happening. And if they can't do that, to at least neutralize us so far as the kingdom is concerned, that we're basically useless to the kingdom. This is what they want to do. And that's why the book of Ephesians tells us that we have to be proactive. We can't have that attitude, oh, Messiah will take care of me. I'm not saying don't trust him, but there's two sides to this. There's his side of it and there's our side of it. And Ephesians here tells us about our side of it. It says, finally, be strong in Adonai and in the strength of his might. We can't do this on our own. We know that. It has to be by his might. Put on the whole armor of Elohim that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why does anybody need armor? If you need armor, but you're not wearing armor, what happens to you? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are wiles? Schemes, temptations, conspiracies. This suggests plans against you. 
Is that paranoid? Some people think that's paranoid. The scriptures tell us Satan is making plans against you, and you have to be aware of them, and you have to deal with them. Isn't that what this is telling us? And it explains this. For our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world's rulers of the darkness of this age, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Where are they? In the heavenly places. Yeshua Messiah saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. You see, his message, it's all consistent. This is not past tense. This is something that is ongoing. These demonic spirits are in the heavenly places, spiritual forces of wickedness. This is where our battle is, not against flesh and blood. Why do we need to be reminded that our battle is not against flesh and blood? Here's the reason. Demons are invisible. It's that simple. You don't see them. You do see the people they work through. So they're doing their thing through people. You see the people. So you get mad at the people. Right? You get angry with them. This happens to all of us. And then you have to be reminded, hey, wait a minute. There's a spiritual battle here. And then you have to deal with the spiritual battle. And we all need that sometimes to be reminded of that. And that we have to deal with that spiritual battle every day. Therefore, put on the whole armor of Elohim that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. One way of looking at the evil day here is the day that the devil basically enacts his plan in your life. And he doesn't just have one plan, okay? He's constantly on your case. And the evil day is the day he does his thing. And when he does, you need to have the armor in place. You need to be standing in his power. And you need to, it says, having done all. What is all? It's all the things the scriptures tell you. Having done all that already. You need to stand in the evil day. You're a soldier. You need to take your place in the battle lines of Israel, and you need to hold that ground. And your brothers and sisters are counting on you. Hold the line against the enemy. Here are the basics on how your enemy works. Some very basic things that we all should know about. First of all, we have demonic possession. This is Anna Eklund, 
who was a devout Catholic in the state of Wisconsin. This is her at 14 years old, controlled by the demons. Now, I don't think that's what a 14-year-old girl should look like, do you? This was not her fault. From the time she was a little child, her father and her aunt practiced witchcraft and continually cursed this young woman and no doubt performed occult rites to fill her with demons. And by doing that, they thought they would get certain benefits. That's why the people do this stuff. But she certainly didn't benefit from it. Now, you might wonder, how can that happen? How can someone who's an innocent little girl be subjected by adults to things that will cause them to come under the power of the devil? Do you ever wonder that? Here's the reason. Because Yahweh, when he created this perfect world, set things up so that parents had authority over their children. And that was a good thing to be used for a good purpose, and it still is. But some people are willing to abuse that very precious position as a parent to take authority over their children in evil ways. And the devil and the demons, they're ready to exploit that. The truth about the devil and the demons is they have no power at all of their own. None. They don't have any power. All the power they exercise is the power that Yahweh already built into the universe. And they take the things that he built into the universe to cause everything to operate, and they twist it, and they pervert it to accomplish what they want to do. That's how this can happen. It's a horrible thing. But it's how the world works. You can be driving down the road, and some guy who has just come out of the bar, who is totally sloshed, gets behind the wheel, falls asleep at the wheel or something, comes across, hits you, and you and maybe your whole family is dead. This is the world of sin. Sin coming into the world brought this distortion into the world so that suffering exists. This is not Yahweh's fault, and he has set a place and time to deal with this. And in the meantime, he has given his people authority in Yeshua Messiah to be able to help people like this. A person like this, when they're under this demonic possession state, is not really a person at all. 
because their consciousness is completely and fully suppressed by these demonic entities. So that while they're being tormented, their body is simply under the control of these demons. And they're able to talk very often. This woman, for instance, she could understand foreign languages that she didn't know. She could even speak in those languages. She levitated, walked up the side of walls, all kinds of strange things. It's all by demonic power that this can happen. It's very real, and there's no other explanation for it other than demonic possession. That's why cultures around the world, regardless of how much they vary from one another religiously in other ways, they all recognize such a thing as demonic possession because they have all seen these kinds of things happen. So as I mentioned, this involves episodes in which the consciousness of the host is suppressed by one or more demonic entities. Now, depending on how severe the possession is, this might be pretty much constant in the person's life, or it might be just episodic that this happens. The demonic entities do and say things impossible for ordinary humans. So this is not just mental illness, which is something else. For the subject, for the victim, this involves unspeakable torments and abuse perpetrated by the demons over long periods of time. And of course, we have examples of this in the gospel we've already looked at. And there are people right now today that are experiencing this. A lot of them are like this girl. And they're in this condition because their parents said yes to the demon. A lot of them. And that's a completely hateful idea. And unfortunately, it's true in our world. You know, we read about things like this in the Bible. We read about even the children of Israel, right? Offering up their children to false gods to get the things they want. It's happening right now. Occult spells and rites are used very often to bring this about and to bring the subject under the control of the demons. And essentially, the parents give up the child to the demons as a person might sell their child into slavery. So the demonically possessed person actually becomes a slave of the demons to use however they want. And what they want is not very good. I'm sorry to talk about such dark things. But we need to understand the nature of our enemy. And when you look at the worst that they do, you know, too, I'm not really talking about the worst they can do yet. But 
and I don't think I probably will, but this is pretty bad. It tells us, really, the extent of the war that we're fighting. Well, demonically possessed people have scrambled minds. And this is why a lot of times people think that they're mentally ill, because their minds are so scrambled up. But it's the demonic forces that are doing this to them. And they're this way pretty much all the time. So being unable to think clearly, their free will is really obscured from them, basically taken away from them. And that's kind of what this is all about, to keep them from getting into a place where they can make a free will decision. That's very much what this is about. They cannot break free on their own because of this. And since they're literally slaves, very often with people like this, even when someone who has the authority attempts to cast out the demon, it won't happen. Because that demon feels that it has ownership rights of that person, and it becomes much more complicated than other kinds of cases. However, they can be set free. For that to happen, they must allow Messiah to exert ownership of them. Now, in the course of my cult exit work, I did some of this, which is not an offer for demonically possessed people to now stream to Texas. Because we have a bigger and frankly more important work that we're doing, which has to do with the remnant of Israel, which eventually will result in the freedom of all righteous people. So that's what we're focusing on today. But what I've seen can happen with people like this is that a person who is a representative of Messiah can enter into a situation like this and can bind these spirits from operating. So they're still there, but they can't do anything. They can't talk, they can't do anything. And can pray for the peace in which the presence of the mind of that individual can be restored to them. And then in that place, that person can decide if they want to accept Yeshua Messiah as their Lord. If they choose to make that decision, and they can make the same decision anybody can make, right? Because they might say no. In which case, you can't help them. But if they choose to accept Yeshua Messiah as their Lord, he died for them on the cross. He bought them. He has a preexistent right to them above their parents, and so, therefore, above those demonic spirits that are controlling them. And at that point that they make that decision, they can be permanently set free. 
Now, in some cases, you might be able to cast the demons out of a person like this without them making the decision. But to do that is an exercise in futility because those demons will just keep coming back because the person has to make a decision. And once they do make the decision, they have to continue to follow through on the decision. And if they don't, they can open the way again for these demons to come back. A person who has been demon-possessed for the rest of their life will be fighting a war more intensely than a lot of other people against the demonic forces because they don't like being defeated and they're going to fight more virulently to get that person back than they would somebody else. That's how that works. So that kind of a person especially must have exceptional discipline in their life as to what they will allow to come into their life. To give you an example of this, I ministered to a woman who had been involved with a Native American shaman. And in fact, she really didn't know at first what she was getting into. But like a lot of these kinds of things, one thing leads to another. Pretty soon she's doing these occult rites with this person. And she's brought under the control of these spirit animals, which is just another term for demon. And it's a certain flavor, though, you know. But anyway, what happened was this man horribly abused her, but she couldn't break free. He always knew where she was, so no matter whether she tried to get away or whatever, he always knew demonically where she was. And he just had amazing control in her life. Well, fortunately, he got sent to prison for certain things he did. And However, even though he was hundreds of miles away and he was in prison, he still was tormenting her. And he knew what she was doing. And at night, she would have spirit animals like white buffaloes and different things actually appear in her room. And she'd have like the smell of sage in her room. And she was being tormented in a lot of different ways by the demons and by this man. So she was looking for some help. So I prayed with her and did basically what I just explained to you, gave her the opportunity to decide whether she wanted these demons in her life or wanted Messiah in her life, and she made the right choice. But then after that, we took all the stuff out of her house, all of the Native American paraphernalia for this connection with the spirits. And it was really quite a job searching through everything in her house to get rid of it. And he had actually managed to cause things to go back into her house that she'd thrown away. She didn't even know how that happened, but it did happen. And she had to be able to constantly 
be searching and getting rid of things. But she was totally set free of any of these occurrences and of this demonic oppression. And she did become a follower of Yeshua Messiah. So it is possible to break free if people will make the right decision. And there are other things that happened like this. And it's really a blessing when you see this happen, when you see someone who's really set free. There are others, though, who get certain powers from the demons. And they don't want to let go of those things. There's certain things they get from the demons that they like. And so, sadly, people like that many times will not be willing to give up the demons. And that sounds so weird, doesn't it? But that's how it is. And so they will not uh, receive Yeshua to be their Lord. And you really can't do anything to permanently help people like that. And you have to know when that's the case, because many times people like that will keep trying to string you along. The demons can really use them just to eat up your time and to try to find some way into your life to give you trouble. So you have to have discernment about this if you have to deal with this kind of thing. Well, we got a little more about this. Here's just some thoughts if you are in a position ever where you need to deal with something like this, and don't deal with it unless you have to, and Yahweh leads you into it. But don't even start unless you can prove you have permission to do it. That's because the demons are legalists. And they will use the law of the land against you. And they will use it as a trap against you. So you have to realize, even though you care about the person, the person is also a conduit through which the demons can try to cause you trouble. So. Just like the 70 all had a partner, if it's possible to do it, you should have a partner. And you have to be very discreet in what you do, and that way you have a witness to whatever happens. Now, it doesn't always work like this. We have examples of people in Scripture where that's not how it was. So ultimately, it's Yeshua that leads what you do. But these are some things that you could think about. We notice that Yeshua did not need any exotic exorcism rites to cast out demons, and neither do you. So, you know, that worry that I had, well, can I do this right or whatever, you don't have to even worry about that. Just don't do anything wrong, and you'll be okay. Sometimes you'll have a case and you're going to think, oh, this is so hard. These demons are never going to come out. And then you deal with it and it's so easy. It's mind boggling. And I think that's kind of what happened with the 70. They couldn't believe it, you know, that they just did what Yeshua said. Well, actually, what they had seen him because he didn't tell them to even do it. But they just did what they saw. 
and it just happened, you know, and they were just really excited about it. And I had a case like this, and I went with my partner to this woman that called and asked us to come to her house because she had a lot of demons in her house. And so myself and my ministry partner went there, and it was the middle of the summer. It was a hot day, and the minute we walked in the house, we could totally feel this demonic heaviness in the house and a cold that literally sent shivers up our back. It's like the presence of these demons was just so evident. And the woman had told us that what had happened in her life is back at that time in her area, there was a lot of transcendental meditation. And this was being put forward to people as this is something that's going to relax you and, you know, just help you to be more spiritual, kind of a new age thing, right? So she just went to these things as a kind of yoga. And, you know, they gave her a mantra to do. And then she would sit in the typical yoga position, trying to empty out her mind and saying this mantra, which they told her was just her word to focus on in order to relax. So that all sounds fine to a lot of people. And you know what? She did this, and for a while, it seemed to be working. It calmed her down and helped her to relax. She had less anxiety, and she thought this was really good. So. She applied to go to their school and become an instructor. She really got into this, and she went to a school in Europe. And at the school, she learned things they never told her in these classes. Like, for instance, they said to her, you know that mantra we gave you, where you would just say that word? Well, that word is actually the name of a Hindu god. And you are basically asking that God to come and empower you when you do this. So they were introducing her now into what they were really doing. So all along, when she thought she was just relaxing, she was inviting a Hindu God to come and possess her. And what's interesting about her is that she resisted it. Once she realized what it was, she began to resist it. And that's when the demons started really attacking her. And there were a lot of demonic manifestations that happened around her. And uh, a lot of strange things happened to people around her. And she became very isolated because she was creepy. And everybody thought she was creepy because of these creepy things. And you know, she'd been a very ordinary person. And she herself wasn't really doing anything creepy, but creepy things were constantly happening around her. And one day her husband said, you know, this is just too creepy living with you. And he's gone. And more and more, she just became isolated. And she tried to run away to different places everywhere she went. The demons followed her and 
you know, her nights were absolutely horrendous. So anyway, she told us this whole story, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, these demons, they're not going to come out easily. And so, you know, I just talked with her, explained how all this worked, and explained to her the importance of Yeshua Messiah really being the Lord of her life and acknowledging his ownership of her. And she just followed along because she was so desperate, really. And she really got it. And she, she just followed along and did it and made that choice. And then we prayed against those demons. And they were instantly and immediately gone. And it was just so easy. I myself was shocked. And I went away just totally feeling the same kind of joy as these 70 in seeing the power of Yeshua Messiah in this woman's life, just releasing her from this horrible burden that she had been carrying for years that was destroying her life. It's such an amazing thing. One other thing uh, this goes on to say is, if they don't obey, then you probably need to resort to prayer and fasting because it is a harder case. And I also ran up against some of those, and those can be very trying, those harder cases. They can be like threats of killing the subject, for example, by the demons. There can be threats against you. There can be very strange things happening. A lot of different things can happen with a hard case like that. So basically, prayer and fasting is what you need in that particular kind of case. And it might not hurt if you know someone else that knows anything about this or has experience with it to bring in some help with somebody like that. Well, that's demon possession, and that's probably like the worst thing that you're going to encounter ever out there. There's another thing called demonic oppression. And this is different than demonic possession. Because demonic oppression can happen to anybody. You don't have to do anything to make this happen. This is a choice, in a sense, that the demons are making to try and oppress you. And demonic oppression creates a sense of palpable darkness and dread. And if you're sensitive in a spiritual way, you can just feel this demonic darkness with an incidence of demonic oppression or in the presence of that. Demonic oppression also involves internal messages of things like anxiety, worthlessness, a wish to have never been born, things like that. And there'll be actual words many times saying, you're worthless, you're terrible, you did this, you did that, accusations against you. And the demons don't say, well, I'm a demon, and I'm here saying this. They want you to think you yourself are thinking up these thoughts because they want you to own this as your own assessment of yourself. 
So you have to think very closely when this is happening about these thoughts and think, okay, is this what I really think? And if it isn't, then you know these thoughts are coming from outside of yourself. Demonic oppression, if not spiritually addressed, can lead to very bad decisions. Immobility, unable to make important decisions. Damaged relationships. And much worse. Much worse. It's important to realize that in the war, believers will sometimes suffer from demonic oppression. And the very fact that a person, a believer, is suffering from demonic oppression can make them feel guilty, can make them feel like, I must be bad because this is happening. And that's really wrong. It doesn't mean you're bad. It just means you have an enemy who wants to destroy you. And for that reason, many times it's people who are real workers in the kingdom that sometimes experience demonic oppression because the enemy wants to neutralize their service. And demonic oppression is a method that he will often try. Demonic oppression brings a dark feeling that you may perceive as being similar to depression or fear or other similar kinds of emotions. However, in this particular case, these are not really emotions that are originating with you. These are symptoms, not the cause of what you're feeling. So you need to discern that difference, and in the spirit, you can. These feelings and these messages are being projected from the spirit, from the spirit world. So it's not really you, if you can follow what I'm saying. So in the Holy Spirit, you can perceive this and understand that it's demonic oppression. Demonic oppression is often a tactic of the enemy to deter you from the will of Yahweh. Do his will anyway, and you win. A lot of times what happens with believers who experience this is they're approaching some new opportunity that Yahweh is opening to them, that he's calling them into. And the demonic oppression comes in order to prevent them from moving forward in that, to distract them away from it. And so when that happens, if you want to get rid of the demonic oppression, then just do that thing that Yahweh wants you to do as soon as you can. And that will bring an end to it. That's one way of dealing with it. When faced with demonic oppression, draw close to Yahweh in prayer. Even if you don't feel like he is hearing you. A lot of times this can be part of demonic oppression. A feeling like you're unworthy and therefore God isn't hearing you. In this case, what you have to realize is what the scriptures tell you. 
And this is what you have to hold on to when the demons are doing stuff like this. The truth of Scripture. Because regardless of how you feel, the Scriptures are true. So when you grab a hold of those things in the Scriptures that are true, and you confess those things as being true, then that really cuts away at the power of the enemy against you. So many people today rely on their feelings as if their feelings are always telling them the truth. But very often your feelings aren't telling you the truth. Many times feelings are based on things that are not true. And so we can't just trust our feelings. And we have to get away from that, where we trust his word instead of our feelings. Just really important. And when you're under demonic oppression, it's a great time to spend some time in the scriptures, searching out the promises that he has made to you. Remember the things that he's done in your life and get centered in your identity in him. And that way, you have an answer to the enemy to shut him up. Messiah said, it is written. That was his answer. He, he did not get drawn into it, right? He didn't uh, do the things that Satan said to him. He didn't get involved in an argument about it. He didn't say, oh, well, you know, I really am the son of God and yada, yada, yada. None of that. He just said, it is written. And he relied on the scripture. That's his answer. We can do that too. If we're under demonic oppression and we can say the truth from the scripture to the enemy and send the enemy on his way. James 4, 7, be subject therefore to Elohim, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. So that's how we deal with demonic oppression. Here's something else you can do. Philippians 4, verse 6 through 8, very much along the same lines. As a matter of fact, you know, you might like put this on your wall somewhere or something. In a place you'd see it at a time when this might happen to you. In nothing be anxious, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to Elohim. You know, when our emotions get engaged and we are feeling anxiety, sometimes we don't pray. You'd think that'd be the first thing you'd do, right? But sometimes, no, our emotions carry us away from that. We need the word. We need to look at it. And yes, this is what it's telling you to do. In everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, don't forget the thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to Elohim. What the thanksgiving is about, when you're under demonic oppression, if you start thinking about all of the grace that Yahweh has poured into your life, all the blessings that you have experienced from him, and you give him thanks for that, that's a very, very powerful weapon against demonic oppression. 
It tells us if we will do these things, the peace of Elohim, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Messiah Yeshua. I think that's wonderful. It's a great way to deal with demonic oppression. And then what about this? Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's any praise, think about these things. Do these things, and the Elohim of peace will be with you. See, when we focus on all of the good things from Yahweh, there's very little room for the enemy to do much with us. And pretty soon, he'll be heading for the hills. Well, one last thing I'm going to talk about, and that is demonic deception. And don't underestimate the power of demonic deception. James 3.15, the world's wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. What the world regards as wisdom is demonic. It's earthly. It's sensual. It's based on the fallen man, an appeal to the fallen man. It's based on the senses, not on Yahweh's truth. And isn't that true about the world? Isn't that what drives the world? Everybody's trying to feed the fallen man. And basically, pretty much all deception is focusing on some aspect of the fallen man. And you know what? Because we all have that in us, that means that we all potentially can be victimized by demonic deception. Demonic deception permeates the thinking of the world, and every person is exposed to it every day. And in some cases, every minute, right? It's so pervasive. One way to kind of tell if you might be under more deception than you'd like. If the world likes you, this is probably an indication that you're operating under the influence of demonic deception. Doesn't that make sense? Because if the world's wisdom is demonic and the world likes you, you must be under a lot of the same deception the world is under. And we do see this with believers a lot, don't we? As a matter of fact, unfortunately, there's a lot of teachers in the Christian realm that depend on this kind of deception. You know, basically offering you the satisfaction of the flesh if you will do what they want you to do, which is usually send them a bunch of money. And so they're using you. They're using your lower nature. And there's so many other things like this. But just to say, just because something is a teaching going around among believers, 
doesn't mean you can trust it. If it's something that is appealing to the lower nature in any way, then you want to realize that this is a demonic deception. So there's so much more we could talk about here. This could go on much longer. But I think what we see as we look at this is that there is a war, and the war is going on all day, every day. And many times we attribute what we are experiencing in the war to something other than the work of the demons. And we need to become aware and operate in that awareness of the demonic world. Romans 12.2 has this advice, don't be conformed to this world. Why? Well, for one reason, because the world is totally under the deception of the enemy. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's having to do with his truth. So by keeping focused on his truth from his word, walking in him, your mind is transformed to be like his mind. We can know the mind of Messiah. We can think as he thinks. And that truth is what can protect us from being deceived so that you may prove what is the good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of Elohim. What a shame it would be in our life to think we were doing the good, well-pleasing, and perfect will of Elohim and find out that we were really under a deception. None of us want to let that happen to us, so the renewing of our mind is an essential thing that we need to keep doing all the time. When snakes and scorpions attack, these are things that we can do. You have been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Some of the scripture verses referenced or related to today's portion are Luke chapter 10 verse 1 through verse 24, Matthew chapter 19 verse 28, Revelation chapter 21 verse 12 through verse 14, Numbers chapter 11 verse 16, Numbers chapter 11 verse 24 through verse 25, Acts chapter 19 verse 13 through verse 16, the book of Job, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 through verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through verse 13, James chapter 4, verse 7, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through verse 8, James chapter 3, verse 15, and Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Further teachings and study materials on the Torah and how God designed it to work as a sword and shield against the enemy in spiritual warfare 
the role of God's covenant with Israel in the spiritual war, why the enemy can't be defeated without God's covenant with Israel, defending against the enemy, attacking and taking ground away from the enemy, the remnant of Israel, what the book of Job and other places in the Bible tells us about how and why the devil is allowed to accuse us in the court of heaven, how the 144,000 men of the remnant of Israel who are the bond slaves of Messiah will cause the devil and accuser of the saints to be cast out of heaven as prophesied in Revelation. Why Messiah won't return until that happens. How you can be a part of that victory. Walking in the Holy Spirit. Zion Ministries mission. Joining us in ministering to others via kingdom outposts and volunteer work and all the foundational knowledge you need to know in order to do your part like the 70 in overcoming the enemy and proclaiming the full good news of the kingdom before the end of these last days. Along with many other related topics can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom! Stand at the crossroads and look Ask for the ancient You've heard that the book of Revelation foretells apocalyptic events at the end of the world. You've heard about the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. You may have even heard Eliyahu ben David's programs on Revelation or read his book entitled Announcing Judgment Day. But do you know what the book of Daniel foretells about the last days? Are you aware of the current events that are reshaping the world closer and closer to the one world government described in biblical prophecy? Eliyahu's Daniel Seminar includes new revelation from Daniel that has been sealed for nearly two and a half millennia. Join us as a free member on our community site, Zion Tabernacle, for access to our free eight-part video seminar entitled Beasts of Daniel Surfacing. To see what other free resources you'll get as a Zion Tabernacle member, go to zion.org and click Join Us in the menu bar. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G. Then click Join Us.